All right. Let's pray, and we will jump into Matthew chapter 23. Man, God, thank you, Father, for just the blessing of this small world, Lord, that you've created through technology, through so many things, Lord God, through so many ways, Father, that we can come together, God, and and be halfway around the world, God, and to just still see your fingerprints, Lord, to see you moving in just amazing and mighty ways, Father, through widows and orphans, through the very people you've called us to, to be taken care of, God. Man, Lord. God, help us. God, as we dig through today, Lord, I don't think it's a mistake, Father, that we are where we are in your word today. And so, God, as we dig in, as we look, Father, I pray, Lord, would you open our hearts and open our eyes to the things, Lord God, that you want us to see in our own hearts. Lord, would you put a magnifying glass, Lord, into the, the possibly, Lord, into the, the dirt, God, into the, the rot, Father, clean us. Cleanse us out, God. We need more of you, Lord. And the one thing we don't need a, a lot of, Lord, is more stuff. So God, fill us up, Father, with you. Open our eyes, Lord, more clearly, Lord, to the things that you have for us, individually and as a church, God. Oh, God, please move. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys, Nate and Steve did an awesome job this last week, didn't they? (laughs) Technology was so cool. We were able, I was able to watch Nate and uh, I was like sitting there critiquing and writing notes. No, I wasn't. (laughs) It was amazing. And Wednesday night was awesome. So guys, just, man, can we just thank him for the fact that it's not about one person and that God is raising different people up? Amen. (laughs) So awesome. So we looked... Two weeks ago, you guys remember, we kind of went backwards because I, I skipped that part. And we looked at that last little thing that Jesus had said, right? That last little part, which was a huge part. He was calling him out and saying like, hey, where, who was David talking about? And what was he saying whenever he was asking, my Lord said to my Lord, right? And he said, right, the Lord Yahweh said to my Lord Jehovah. And this is only and could only be referring to God in flesh, right? And so he's saying like, man, if you believe that the Messiah is God in flesh, then who am I? And that was the question he was asking them. And so today we're going to skip down past the part that we talked about where he kind of started talking to the multitude. Remember, he was kind of done asking them questions. He was kind of done speaking directly to them. But remember, they're around this whole last week, right? They didn't just leave and then suddenly show up and arrest him and then all that. No, they're paying attention and they're just getting more and more angry and they're seething more and more with anger. And I want us today to look at this because he's talking to the multitude, but essentially he's talking about and to the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders, right? Why? Because they're standing right there, but he was kind of done. He was like, listen, this is how they're acting. Don't follow them. Remember, two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that he said, as long as they're speaking about the law of Moses, follow it. But don't follow them as human beings. Don't just look at that person and think that that means something. And we talked a lot about that, didn't we? And so today I want to look at something. I want to look at this section where he gives out these eight woes. These eight woes. And we're going to try our best to get through them all. We'll see. I'm looking at the time, so don't don't worry. (laughs) I got 11 pages of notes, so for real, be a little worried. 
Just not at all. <laughs> you guys, today we're going to pick up in, in verse 13 of chapter 23, and we're going to be examining him talking to the multitudes and making it clear that, listen, these Pharisees, these scribes, we need to listen to them as long as they're concerning the law of Moses. That's what he says. But he wants to lay out these eight woes for them. And I want to take a moment and say this, you guys. Let's examine our own hearts. Because guess what the Pharisees and the scribes were? Humans. Guess what we are? Humans, right? None of us are above. We cannot ever come to scripture and be like, oh, those stupid Pharisees. Look at them. Oh. No, the question I always ask myself anytime I come to the word is, Lord, how am I like this Pharisee? And I think it's a good question to ask. Not to beat yourself up, but to let God examine your heart. To let God go in and be like, you know what? You're doing pretty good here. You're doing pretty good here. This one, you need some work, (laughs) right? And then you get a chance to say, okay, God, do that work in me. Instead of just walking away from it and continuing to be a Pharisee by being like, I've got it all figured out, God. I don't need you to correct me on this, right? And so let's not ever walk into God's word and not walk away from it with questions about where we're at in our own heart. Let's not miss the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to grow us up. Amen? So here we go. Verse 13 says this. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So Jesus begins this section by just calling out the Pharisees and the scribes. He's saying, look, you continue to shut up the kingdom of heaven and you don't even enter in yourself. And I want us to think about this. Here they were talking to the Messiah, the son of God, the one that was here to save them. And what were they doing to everybody that came in contact with them? Don't listen to that guy. Don't talk to him. And they weren't willing to come in themselves. You guys, they were doing exactly the thing that he's saying here. They were keeping people from entering to the kingdom of heaven. Why? Well, because they had a form of holiness that they liked better. And that holiness got them where? Nowhere. But they liked it because it was easy. It was something they could do. And we're going to learn that they couldn't really do it. But I'm saying from their perspective, they were just like, I can do this. We've all 613 laws. Easy. I got this. It's easy. And guess what? If I screw it up, I just go and I, I, I lay a sacrifice down. But I don't really have to because I can usually justify myself and I can do all these things. And they had all this little system, this man-made system built up. And that's what they wanted everybody to follow. And Jesus came with something completely radically different that said, I'm going to fulfill the law with love. I'm going to do something different. And what did they do? They wanted people to stay away from it. And so he says, woe to them. These religious leaders were better at playing church than actually actually inviting people in to know who God was. And I want us to stop for a second, you guys. There's a lot of churches in this world that are good at playing church. And very rarely do they invite anybody in. God help us if we're ever a church that's guilty of that, of playing church, of making sure that you come in a certain way. You know, you're wearing a Budweiser shirt. How about you come back next week with a new clothes, with some new clothes? No. You're you're, you're swearing? Oh my gosh. Those words are bad, don't you know? My gosh. Why don't you come back whenever your mouth is cleaned up? God forbid that we would do that stuff. Amen? Verse 14. 
And I want to say something about this. Verse 14, who here is reading an NLT or an NIV? Yeah, you will see if you look, it'll go from verse 13 to verse 15. There's no verse 14 here. There's a reason for that. I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. Verse 14 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So Jesus is saying this. He's saying like, man, you guys, you go and you just take out the people that are in the most need. You go to Kenya and you just take everything you can get from them and just leave them hurting. And you know what you do while you stand there in the rubble and in the mess that you've just created? You make long prayers so that you look so religious, so that you look so high and mighty above them. That's what he's saying. These are not easy things to hear, are they? Now, quickly, just so we can kind of get a a handle on this. If you're reading the NIV or the NLT, and there's a couple other translations that are like this as well, they don't, they made this decision as a committee not to include this verse. Why? Because this verse is not included in every manuscript of Matthew that we have. It just isn't, right? And if you want to get real technical, there's a thing called higher criticism where they gauge of like how old is the manuscript and the older the manuscript, the more accurate it's supposed to be, which right? And so they do all these things. And, and some of these translation committees have made the decision that said, you know, this doesn't necessarily seem like it was specific to Matthew when it was first written, but it was added later. But here's the thing. We find this exact same verse in Mark 12:40 and Luke 20, 47. So it's not like somebody just was like, I'm going to put words in Jesus's mouth. No, it's not it, not it at all. And we don't really know is the real question, right? We don't know. Was it there? Was it not? And so each translation committee is doing this. Here's the deal. You're not losing your mind. It was an intentional omission. It should say something in your Bible about it that says, hey, this, there's a reason it goes from 13 to 15. We didn't make a mistake. It's not there for a reason. You guys, we can actually trust God's word. Amen? Amen. And now, if you have any questions about this, ask somebody else. No, if you really want, you can ask me. We can talk a lot more about it. But the reality is, you guys, to me, I trust that God's word is, is solid. It's not missing anything. And if you really need the verse, go grab a New King James or an ESV or some other Bible. None of them are wrong or right. It just is what it is. They do their best to translate it. Amen? And so that's where we're at. But getting back to this verse, here they were acting super religious, super holy. And Jesus is saying, you guys are destroying the very people that I've called you to bless and to minister to. You are destroying them. You're doing all these things that literally ruin these people's lives. And then you're standing up and making these big prayers and you're doing all these things just so that people will look at you and be like, look how holy they are. Look how holy they are. You guys flip over with me to James 127. We know all throughout the Old Testament, it says, right, that we, we should take care of the orphans and the widows, that we should do these things. And here in James chapter 1, verse 27, I love it. It says this. You guys know this verse. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You guys, the scribes and the Pharisees thought that their verbose prayers were the thing that mattered. They thought that the little, you know, phylacteries and all the stuff that they wore and all that stuff was the most important thing, while at the same time, not really caring for any widows and taking anything they could get from them 
We talked, remember earlier in Matthew, how they went around and they told people, hey, you don't actually, if you just give everything to God, if you just say that when you die, all of your inheritance goes to God, you don't actually have to take care of your parents at all. And Jesus was calling them out for that. I'm like, why are you doing that? You're just trying to make your way better, your finances better. And you're not taking care of the thing that I've asked you to take care of. Verse 15. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. <laughs> Jesus, he does not pull punches. He's hammering them. He's saying, he's like, you guys travel all over the world to find people. Just one person that'll follow you in your way. You do all these things just to make sure you got people underneath you. You do all of it. And what do you do in the end of it? You turn them into the twice the son of hell that you are. They converted people to the system of these 613 rules that were meant to cover these 10 commandments. They converted people to a system of do's and don'ts. That's what they converted them to, you guys. And guess what? Those do's and those don'ts most often didn't even reflect the heart of Christ. Didn't even reflect the heart of God. It's like they somehow lost their way away from where the Old Testament was speaking. And they started going into things that they shouldn't. And we know that to be true because we have those writings, you guys. The Talmud. The different things that they were trying to like study out scripture, but it ended up getting wacky. And that's where, that's where Jesus stepped in. This is where he's at, where he's like, what is happening right now? What are you guys doing? They, they replaced a man-made goodness meter. That's what they did. They replaced a man-made goodness meter with God's grace. No, they replaced God's grace with a man-made goodness meter. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. They had their little scale of where they fell and how good they were doing and what was going on in their lives. And are the, is everything in its proper place? And do, is everything nice and clean? And have I made a long enough prayer? And did I give just enough into the coffers very loudly so that everyone knew that I was giving? And did I walk through the streets and, and hand out my money and do all these things so that everyone could see it? Those are the things they were known for. And they replaced God's grace for that. They taught their converts to fake it until you make it. But it doesn't work that way in God's economy, right? You can never fake it. Why? Because the beginning of God's economy is realizing, guess what? You'll never make it. You can't make it. None of us can make it. We need Jesus. That's the whole point. You cannot fake it till you make it because you can never make it. You need Jesus. He's the only way. And Jesus tells him like, man, the way you're acting and the way you're treating the people around you and the way you're raising up people is turning them into two times the son of hell that you already are. That is a huge indictment. And Christian, I've got to ask us a question. Are we guilty of that sometimes? Are we guilty of that? I'm not saying you are or you're not. I'm asking you to ask God. I had to ask God. I have to ask God. Are we putting the weight of performance on an unbeliever's life or on a new believer's life that we have on ours? Because God does put a weight on our shoulders, but his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
right? That's the yoke he gives us. But sometimes Christians, can't we be guilty of this? You don't look as cleaned up as you should be for one month in. Really? What'd you look like a month in? I look like a wreck. I'm 30 years in and I still look like a wreck. (laughs) Right? Like God grows us up. God does this stuff, man. Christians, are we doing that? Are we not letting God do the work of sanctification in our lives? Because we're too busy trying to make sure that they're molded into the image that we want them to be in. What about this, you guys? Christians, are we guilty of faking it when we're around other Christians? Right? Are we guilty of that? Instead of being real, taking off the plastic and being like, here I am, warts and all. I'm messed up. I do messed up things. And in that, you guys, God begins to do a work, doesn't he? We need to be real with one another. Because if you're faking it around other Christians, that in and of itself is putting something on to that new believer that says, oh, this is how you do it. You act like a total fake. That's not, no. You came in naked and in need. And we walk out naked and in need. And the only thing in between that answers any of that and gets us to heaven is Jesus. So why would we suddenly get into church for a few years and be like, all right, this morning I had to put on my plastic face and my plastic arms and I'm like, I'm good, brother. I'm great, sister. Thank you very much. Right? And then you walk out, you take it all off and you're like, and everybody's like, who the heck are you? How about you come into church and be like, and let God calm you down. (laughs) Right? So that when a non-believer walks in and they're like, man, this church is full of crazy people. I like that. (laughs) And then we all grow together. That's the point. It's always been the point. It's the thing that Jesus is saying, you've missed the point to the Pharisees. In American church, I think we miss the point far too often. And I don't want that to be true of us. Let's let God change us. There's a song by this guy named Steve Taylor. Some of you guys might know. I love him. He is super sarcastic, super cynical guy, hilarious when he sings. He sings this song called, I Want to Be a Clone. And as I studied this verse, it just made me think of it. Here is the chorus. Be a clone and kiss conviction goodnight. Cloneliness is next to godliness, right? I'm grateful for they showed the way, because I could never know the way, to serve him on my own. I want to be a clone. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That song was written in the 80s to the American church. I think it applies just as much today. We don't want clones. We want people that are being raised up into God's image. People that are being turned more into the picture of who Jesus wants them to be today than they were yesterday. That's what we want. And that's going to bring diversity. And that's going to bring all these amazing gifts and talents and things to bear that wouldn't be if we're all like, just walking around like a bunch of clones all the same. And so, man, like, can we be who God wants us to be? Can we be a church that says, yes, come in and join us. We're a bunch of loons. We're all here. Woo! That's what I want for us as a church, you guys. I mean it. Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. 
fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. You guys, these religious leaders would make these O's and right, and they would do it. Why? Just because they were like, look how serious I am about this. I am making an oath before the Lord on the gold from the temple thing, right? <laughs> they make these crazy O's and they would do these things. But why would they always have these like little divisions of like what was actually worth making an oath on and what wasn't? Here's why. Because they wanted to get out of some O's. They wanted to be able to make the oath to sound super hyper-religious and be like, I swear I'm going to do this thing. But then later, when they didn't want to do it, or when it was inconvenient, or whenever they realized they just couldn't, then they would be like, well, it was just the ark, you know, it's just a thing. It wasn't the, the thing that you actually have to hold on to it for. And they would make all these weird divisions, and this was essentially a way for them to move the goalposts. Basically, you guys, it was like this. I swear I'm going to do this. And they were holding their cross fingers behind their back. What value is there in that? None. None. Do you guys remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37, Jesus already said about this. You remember what he said? Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't swear on anything. How can you swear? About, how can you swear on the hairs of your head? Do you even know how many you have? You guys, we can't swear on the things that we're not in control of. And at the end of the day, what are we in control of? Not much. Not much. I think you could actually make a solid argument that we're literally in control of nothing. Right? You're like, look at this car that I'm driving. I'm doing such a good job. God's like, yeah, how about I stop your breathing and then see how much control you have? You're like, ah, ah, ah. you're not in control of anything. Right? Like, that's the reality. So why would we swear on anything? Instead, isn't it better? Christians to just say, yeah, I'll do that. And now here's the thing. Follow through. That's the hard part. I pray that we as a church, you guys, as, as, as we're out and about in this community, that our word means something. I pray that it's, it's not the norm that people assume, ah, oh, yeah, so-and-so always says yes, but he never shows up. God forbid, Right? Like, I, I want us to be a church that isn't filling any of these woes, and yet at the same time, because we're human, I know we probably are in some ways. And so if you're here today and you don't keep your word on things, let the Holy Spirit work that out of you. I used to be a person that would be like, yeah, man, I don't want to do it all. I still am. But now I'm a little bit quicker to stop my words because I will tell everybody yes to everything. And I will honestly do my very best to do all of it until my body says, you're done. <laughs> And then I have to cancel with people. And so it's better to actually weigh your words and say yes or no. Because when you say yes to something, you're saying no to a lot of other things. And when you say no to one thing, you might be saying yes to something better. But you don't know any of that unless you're doing what? Going to God with that stuff, right? That's the truth. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. And let it be there. 
Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. (laughs) You guys, Jesus is not messing around. And I need us to hear this because I think in today's culture, we're too quick to be sensitive to other people. And I (laughs) hear me out on this. I'm not saying there's not room for love and sensitivity, but what I am also saying is sometimes people need to hear the truth in love. I think Jesus wasn't here being like, I'm going to show you what jerks you really are, and I'm going to just lay it out for you, and you're going to be decimated by the time I'm done. That is not Jesus' heart here at all. He's speaking in love. He's like, look, you guys, look at the ridiculousness of your life and how you're living it. Why would you keep going this way? And you who are leaders in this community, why would you not step up to the game? He's doing it in love. He's trying to love them enough to say, stop walking this way. That's what he's doing. And so, yes, he's using words that are hard. And sometimes we need to use words that are hard. Wade in the Holy Spirit. Wait in the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not giving a person that's just easy at like slamming words around permission to go beat people up with their words. It's not at all what I'm getting at. But what I am saying is sometimes when someone's an alcoholic and they're drunk, you need to say, dude, if you keep going this way, you're either going to kill somebody else or yourself. You need to stop it. And we're going to get you help right now, today. We're not moving from here until we get you help now because you need it. We need to say those hard things. The American culture is like, just let people be people. Their truth, ah, their truth kills people. Christians, it should not be so with us. We need to speak truth in love. How do you do that? Through the Holy Spirit, through spending time in his word, through asking God, Lord, what do I say here? Am I ears today or am I a mouth today? What do you need from me today in this situation right now? It's not easy. It's why too many churches choose to just say, just stay out. It's easier if there's no problems in our church. You're right. There's also nobody there in your church. (laughs) The answer I think Jesus is giving is to be real with people. To be real with, enough with yourself to look at them and be like, man, I got problems too. I got stuff I'm working through. Can I pray with you on this? Can we work together? Can I, can I walk with you through these things? Can I do the harder thing and spend some time one-on-one with somebody? Can I do these things that matter more in the end of eternity than whether or not you got all your Patriots games watched or whether or not you got whatever things done. Jesus is pointing out that, man, you're, you're avoiding justice and mercy and faith, but you're really concerned about what you're tithing and who's tithing what and how all this stuff's happening. And what's he say at the end of it? You shouldn't have ignored the bigger things while still doing the, the other things. So he doesn't act like, ah, eh, that little stuff doesn't matter. God's word says it does on some level. But that little stuff It's just little stuff. Let's worry about the big things like justice, mercy, and faith. 
And guys, I think we can fall into this trap, can't we? Worrying about like things like, oh, did I read my Bible today or did I not? And what time did I read it? Did I read it right when I woke up in the morning and did I hit my knees or did I do it later? Oh, is that a sin? Like what, what's happening? I don't know what to do. And oh, did I, did I cuss this week? Oh, oh, I did. Oh man, God. Oh, oh man. Did I pray this morning? Did I not pray this morning? Did I pray this evening? Did I fall asleep in the middle of my prayer? How did all that work? Did I get really angry this week? What happened? We can get wrapped up in all those things. And none of those questions are bad questions. We should be in his word. Does it matter what time? Nope. It would be like you saying like, did I talk to my wife this morning? No, no, I didn't talk to my wife this morning. She hates me. No, she probably doesn't. Now, if you went weeks and weeks of not talking to her, she might be a little frustrated. All the women are smiling and all the men are like. (laughs) Yeah, we need to spend time with God. But if we're turning it into a formula, you guys, do you realize what we're missing out on? Relationship. We're missing out on relationship. If we're following God, you guys, getting in his word, spending time with him, doing all those things are just going to come naturally. Kind of like when you got the hots for your, you know, boyfriend or your girlfriend and all this and that. And anybody that's married and been married a long time, remember back. Right? When you're like, oh man, I want, I, can't, I want to spend as much time as I can and I'm going to talk on the phone. And for, for those of us that are old enough to remember the phone cord, you would like stretch that sucker a mile and a half long, right? And be like, close that, close the door. Hello. <laughs> right? And then your dad would be like, <laughs> you guys, if we're turning God, a relationship with God into a formula, if we're returning that all into something where it's a check and a check and a check, and that means today you follow God closely, you're not following God closely. You're not. If your marital relationship, if your friendships were checklists, would you say that you're really friends or would you just say you're doing pretty good at keeping the checklist up? A friendship is fluid. Our relationship is fluid, and that's what God wants from us. He wants something that's real and raw and like, hey, I need, need to talk to you today a lot. And today, maybe I didn't, just didn't have a lot of time, but I'm just I'm talking to you all day. I'm talking to you all the time. And Lord, you know, today I only had 20 minutes in the Word, and tomorrow I might have an hour and a half, and, and that's okay. That's a relationship. I've been gone for a week. My wife and I talked when we can. And so sometimes I was waking her up at 2 a.m., and she's like, hello. Right? And then other times she was wide awake and I'm like, I'm going to die. It's midnight, right? But we spent that time because we wanted to. You guys, how, why? Why are we so quick to turn our devotion and love of God into something that resembles a checklist instead of a relationship? We do it all the time. These guys, the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, they were really good at it. That's all they had. Jesus says at the end here, he says, you would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I need to give you a little context so you understand what that means. Here's what he's saying. He's not just saying, oh, you got a gnat out of your drink because who wants to eat a gnat? Nobody, right? Nobody wants to drink a gnat. But he's like, but you'll drink a camel. Here's what he's getting at. The reason that they would strain at a gnat, the reason that that was so vitally important, you guys, is because the gnat had not been bled in a kosher fashion. It had nothing to do with 
drinking the gnat. Do you get that? Do you guys ever have Hebrew national hot dogs? They're stamped kosher. What does that mean? It means a lot. If you read the Old Testament, it means there's somebody in there that's a Jewish person that literally is his job is to look at that and look at how the meat's been drained and look at all that stuff and say, yes, this follows the Old Testament rule. Well, not to them. It's just, yeah. Anyway, it's just the Bible to them. But the whole point is, is it for us, it's just, it follows all the Old Testament laws and then that was good. And so now if you're Jewish and you're following the kosher laws, you can eat that. That's literally what they're saying. We can't drink the gnat because it's not kosher. But we can drink a camel that's been prepared in a kosher fashion. Do you see how ridiculous that is? It's ridiculous, and that's what he's getting at. You follow all these little checklist rules. You have all these little ideas of how a relationship's supposed to look like with God and how all these things are supposed to happen, and you, you make sure everyone else follows it, and you're like, oh, there's a gnat! And you take it up, and they're like, oh, I'm trying to eat a camel. It's ridiculous. Guys, that's how we look sometimes. You know? It's how we look sometimes. You didn't come in in a suit and a tie? What are you thinking? Right? You don't read the Bible at least five days a week? I mean, it should be seven. I'm just saying. I'm giving you a little grace here, brother. No, guys. How about we just let God work on us? How about we get to a place where we're like, hey, where are you at in the word? And then the answer will be either a couple things. Listen, the most profound thing that ever happened to me when I was younger, I was smoking cigarettes. I was going to an Assemblies of God church in Nebraska, first, brand new in the military, breaking every rule, had all these rings in my face that you weren't supposed to have and all this and that. And I would be such a rebel, you know, trying to make myself not look like a military member, even though I had the same haircut, right? <laughs> but I would have all these rings. I would do all this stuff. And I would, this one older gentleman always came out to the corner of the parking lot and he would come out. This name, his name was Dave. And he would come out. And the very first time we all took our cigarettes and we tucked it behind our back because we're trying to show respect. And he comes out and he's like, you don't think I see the cigarettes? He's like, the smoke's coming up behind your back. Just smoke it before you light your shirt on fire. And we're like, okay, right? And so we're doing that. And he just said this. We're like, okay, he's going to yell at us for smoking. Or he's going to yell at us because maybe church had started and we weren't in there yet. Or he's going to yell at us. We had all these ideas of what he was going to say. And do you know what he would say? He said it the very first time. He said, what's God showing you in the word? What's God showing you in the word? And he asked each one of us. And we're like, uh, and he's like, all right, man, next week, I want an answer. And he walked in. And the next week he come out and we had an answer. And then the next week he come out and we had an answer. And the fourth week he came out, he said, hey, I want to take you boys to breakfast. Let's go to breakfast. Went to breakfast, started talking to us more about the word. It became something where it was just... It was an honest assessment of like, yeah, I want to get hungry for the word. Yeah, I want to stop doing this stinky habit. Yeah, I want to see God move. And it, you know what he never said? He never said anything about our smoking. He never said anything about how we were dressed. He was retired military. He could have ripped every one of us military members up for how we were dressed. He never did. He let God do that. If you notice, I still don't wear rings in my face. I don't do those things. Are they sinful? No. But the point I'm making is, is that God changes us. Amen? We don't have to be the hammer. We don't have to be the one that says, you need to look like this right now. No, we can let God do that work in us and in other people. All right. We're going to do it. Ready? 
Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What's he saying? He's like, man, on the inside, you're full of pus and rot. That's what he's saying. What's a body look like decomposing? I don't know and I don't want to know, but I know it's gross. That's what he's saying. Inside, instead of actually, instead of actually seeking God, allowing him to work them clean from the inside out, instead of that, they just shine up the outside. They polished up the outside. They wanted to be plastic people and put on their fake plastic smile with a fake plastic life and a fake plastic religion. And that meant more to them than being real and raw and saying, man, God, look in here. It's gross. I need you to clean it out. Jesus was and is calling people to so much more, you guys. He's calling people to a real relationship that's raw and that's messy and that's fulfilling. That's what he's calling us all to. It's messy. It's hard this way. Why? Because you realize just how much you don't know. And you realize just how nasty we all really are. When you really come before a holy and perfect God and say, God, show me if there's any wicked way. Every time I ask myself that, it's not ever with an expectation that he's going to be like, you're good. No, he's just gracious enough not to show me every wicked way all at the same time. And I'm super gracious. I'm super glad for his graciousness in that. Because if he did, I think it would just be crushing for all of us. But no, he's a faithful father that says like, you know what? Let's work on this thing. Here, let's work on this one thing. Let's just work on that. And then you keep asking God, Father, show me if there'd be any wicked way in me. He's like, you know what? Let's work on this one now. Oh, this one cropped back up. Let's work on that again. Oh, this one. Okay, let's do that. So that hopefully you guys By the time we're closer to the grave than we are to more life ahead of us, hopefully, Lord willing, you guys, we can be like my brother Dave, who was an older gentleman that got to go out to some kids and say, hey, what's the Lord showing you? Because we've grown up enough in the word to say, I'm not perfect and I don't have much figured out. But what I do have figured out is that right here is the answer. We get the privilege of doing that the more we grow in the Lord on on our own. We get transformed clearer and clearer into an image of Christ. And that rot and all that stuff that's in us gets washed out of us. And it's not something we do. It's something God does in us. Amen? Amen. Verse 29, finishing up. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. 
that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. You guys, these religious leaders, they were so quick to look back and honor the great men, right? Honor the prophets and honor all these people that are like, oh, look at how good they did. And they were like, man, if, if we would have lived back then, we wouldn't have done all those things to those people. We wouldn't have murdered them and killed them. We wouldn't have stoned them and taken them out. They stood on all this ceremony and all this ultra-religious past. They looked at things. And you guys, we can be guilty of that sometimes too, can't we? Calvary Chapel, I love Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel started in the midst of drugs and hippies and craziness. And, and some old guy named Chuck Smith was like, hey, right? He didn't even really want to talk to him, but then God gave him a mission to him. And so he started talking to him and they started coming to the Lord and they were like dealing with their stuff, right? This one old Marine guy named Romaine was his assistant pastor until he passed away. And he used to go out. I read a book and he said he used to go out and he'd be like, all right, everybody, put out your cigarettes, put out your joints, put down whatever you got, <laughs> get inside. It's time for church. That's how this thing started. I love that. Can I say some really honest, raw thing that maybe might get me in trouble? but I don't care because I mean it. There are some Calvary chapels that are still stuck back in the 60s. Hmm. And yet they're missing out on the 2010s, 20s. <laughs> <laughs> they're missing out on today. Oh, those millennials. Oh, Generation Z. Yeah, what do you think Chuck Smith thought about the hippies? How quickly we lose sight. Oh, if it would have been back then, it would have been different. It's different now. How about you be different here right now where God has you now? Don't look back because you don't know what you would have done going back. None of us would. None of us know what we're going to do day to day. The only thing we can do is say, God, help me, guide me, give me wisdom. I want to be a church like, like Calvary Chapel used to be where we're like, yeah, man, we got people that are dealing with stuff. And I praise God that we are that church, but I don't ever want to lose sight of that because we can so quickly. Yeah. Man, we need to be a church that's saying, God, move. God, blow through this place like a wind. God, move through us. Change us. Make us more real. Lord, take off these plastic pieces from our body and help us to just be real with one another. God, give us revival. That's the church that I want us to be. And God forbid, 50, 60, 70 years from now, that someone doesn't look back at us and be like, oh, look what Great Bay did. Who cares what Great Bay did? What is God doing now? If he tarries, he's got more to do. Let's be about it. They're saying they wouldn't have slaughtered the prophets. That they wouldn't have missed the call of God through these prophets. And it's a little bit ridiculous, isn't it? Because what are they doing, you guys? What's going to happen in just a few days from this moment? They're going to kill the Messiah. They're going to murder Jesus. What had they already done to John the Baptist? You remember? Yeah. He had already been sent to jail by them. Sent to his own death, essentially, by them. So they're like, we wouldn't have done those things. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, look around. You're doing it now. 
Read the entirety of the rest of the New Testament. The book of Acts, what is it about? It's about Paul, well Saul, chasing around Christians and killing them. And then God's like, knocks him off his donkey and he gets a hold of him. And then what happens to Paul the rest of the time? He gets stoned, he gets beat down, he's in a shipwreck, he gets arrested. There's all this stuff happening to all of them. Not one of the disciples died a natural death except John. And that was after being boiled in oil and surviving, which to me is worse You guys, they did exactly what Jesus said they were going to do. They did it. Woe to us. If we're too busy trying to make church look the way we think it should and trying to fight to keep it there, when God's moving in another direction, his word is saying like, hey, reach out to the next generation because we are only one generation ever from the church dying. Did you guys ever hear that? That's not a true statement. Do you know why? Because God is so much bigger than our generation. So it's never going to happen. We are told in his word, his church will never, ever cease. So we know that's not true. But do you still also get that we can never get so old that we start thinking like, oh, we're the only ones that get it. This next generation, they're just hosed. No. Next generation is the one that we need to be raising up. With all their warts. And you need to be willing to say, yeah, I got some warts too. I'm not clean. I'm not perfect. I don't got it all figured out. So let's be imperfect together and serve a perfect God. You guys, I want us to stop for a moment and just really process what we're reading. I do. I I want us to, to take a moment and really think about it. Because the thing is, you guys, here's what the religious leaders were accused of, playing church instead of actually pressing into God. Selfishly seeking after their own ends while showing themselves to be so, so holy by their long prayers. Bringing people into the fold of their little religion and turning them into a mini-me instead of a disciple. Swearing oaths, but only the ones that they could break. Right, So they could still sound holy and amazing, but really just be jerks and keep doing whatever they want. Worrying about little religious things so they could avoid the hard things. Being so plastic on the outside that they were clean and squeaky while they were rotten on the inside. Choosing to look into the past and thinking about how much better they would have done it instead of actually looking in the present and seeing how badly they were actually doing it. And if we're being honest, you guys, I think, I don't think I'm wrong to say that every one of us has at least one of these things here that we're guilty of. Um, Me too. All of us. Maybe not today. Maybe if you're lucky, not even this week. But we've all been guilty of it. And I, I dare say we might fall back into it from time to time. It's easy to put on plastic and be Ken and Barbie. That's, that's way easier life. It's also not the life God's called us to. That's one I tend to be guilty of, especially as a senior pastor, where you're told like, oh, you can't just let your, don't don't just let your hair down. And when you do, sometimes people rip it and you're like, hey, that hurts. I'm human too, stop it, right? It's easier to do that, but guess what? I'll take ripped hair. I'll take all those things to me if it means that we all as a church get to grow closer to the Lord and closer together. Do you get what I'm saying? 
There's things in, in this list for all of us, I think, that we can really look at and say, God, help us. God, help us. And I want to say something. If you're here today and you are not yet a Christian, I need to say something to you, and I mean this in all sincerity. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you've witnessed Christians acting these things out. I'm sorry if you've witnessed me acting these things out. But I also need to tell you something. I'm sorry you've witnessed those things, but I want to encourage you not to mix it up in your head because if you're looking and saying like, man, look at how messed up this church is or look how messed up these people are, can I tell you something? We're not calling you to submit to us. We're calling you to submit to a holy and perfect God. That's what we're calling you to. And so don't mistake what you're seeing. You're seeing flawed human beings trying to serve a perfect God. And if you're looking to flawed human beings and trying to find an answer there, you're not going to find it. We didn't find it either. We found it in Christ. He died and rose again, not us. He lived a perfect life and is calling you to him. You will never hear us saying we live a perfect life or calling you to do anything for us. What we're calling you to is to a life with Christ. That's the point. And so to be honest with you guys, if you're here today or if you're watching online or you're listening to this later and you, you're like, man, see, like, yeah, he's, he's telling it like the church is all messed up. Yes, we are messed up because we're humans. And that's the, that's the truth. We are messed up people, but we're not asking you to believe in us. We're asking you to believe in a perfect God, yeah. in a perfect Christ. And you don't get to go to heaven and be like, man, look at your church, Jesus. It's all messed up. And he's like, I was never asking you to look there. I was asking you to look up. And so you can't ignore, you cannot walk around here thinking that you're justified in that because you're not. None of us are. We're only justified in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, I want to challenge all of us. Do you want to see Jesus move in your life? Like for real. I want an answer. Do you want to see Jesus moving your life? I do too. How do we do that? Take off the plastic. Take it off. We have to stop being like the Pharisees and thinking that like the outside is clean and we're looking really good so that no one could ever touch us, so to speak, because we're so much better at our jobs and we're so much better at our homes and we're so much better in our families and we're so much better here and we're so much better there and we're so much better here and we're so much better there when in reality we go home and we're like, no, we're not better than anybody and we're just a bunch of dummies like the rest of the world and we're just trying to figure this out, God, and God, you're the only good thing that's in me. Let that start shining out and start taking off the plastic and be like, I'm not better than you. I don't have anything more figured out than you do. I'm not acting like we need to just walk around and live like hell. That's not at all what I'm saying. Live the life that Christ has called you to live. That's what I'm saying. And when you make a mistake, fall flat on your face before the Lord and ask for forgiveness and repent. But I've got to say this. I think we as a church, not this church, but just the church, need to repent of this idea, this thing that is so pharisaical that we have to put on something, that we have to look a certain way in order for people to see that we are holy. I don't see that in Jesus. I don't. 
I see perfection in Jesus. But let's get a little closer to home. Do you guys see that in Peter? I don't. I see a guy that made a lot of mistakes. I see a guy that shot his mouth off way too many times and said things he shouldn't have said. I see a guy that cussed out a little girl whenever Jesus was getting talked to. And they said, hey, aren't you one of them? He cursed her. He cursed her out. And then he went out and cried. I, that's, I see those things. And you know what else I see? I see a guy that helped write the Gospel of Mark, a guy that wrote First and Second Peter, a guy that was actually just following hard after the Lord. And I see God bringing impact in his life and to those around him. And so I say to us, you guys, if we really want to see God move, can we begin to be real with one another, first and foremost? I love you guys as a church. I do. And I know that Sunday mornings, you know, there's not a ton of time. Sometimes we're like, oh yeah, everything's great, but we're not. But the truth is, can I just encourage you guys? Men, find another man or two and be real. Be real. Women, find another woman or two and be real. Like really raw. Like here I am, look inside, it's gross. I think you guys, if we do that with one another, if we begin to live our lives and say, man, I am a sinner saved by grace out in this world, and people see that a church is like, dude, they know all this stuff and yet they still love you. And you're like, yeah, man, for real. They do because they're just as messed up as I am when you come to find it all out. And then you get to realize that we get to work together and see what God does. And so then we get to celebrate the victories and all the other stuff that comes along with being real with one another. And we get to see God do something. You guys, I think that's the beginning of revival. I think revival begins when we begin to pull down the walls, when we begin to be transparent about the stuff that we're going through. When we start to realize that we need God as much as everyone else needs God. And we have never arrived. You guys, if we're trying to fake it until we make it, we're just being fake. That's it. So I just, I want to encourage all of us, if you're here today, you're not a believer and you're looking around and seeing Christians that aren't acting right, well, welcome to the world. None of us do. But we can point you to the one that does and that's Jesus. If you're a Christian here today and you're trying to fake it in any way or you're trying to do this thing or you can read this list and you're like, oh man, the Holy Spirit's really just pricking my heart in that area and I need to work on that. Can I just encourage you guys to do a couple things? Repent right now, today. You don't need to come up. There'll be people up here to pray with. I encourage you to come do that, but you don't need to do that. Sit in your chair and repent. Say, God, forgive me for this. God, help me not to be such a fake. God, be with me in these things because I need you. It's the only way it's ever going to change. And the next thing I want you to do is this. Leave your plastic pieces here. Not to pick them up next Sunday. Burn them. Burn them. If you've been here for a while and no one really knows you, my challenge to you, church, is let the church know you. Let them know you. I believe that it's a lie of the enemy that says, just like he did to the Pharisees, hey, act like you're perfect and everybody will really think it. No, 
nobody thinks it. (laughs) They know you're just as messed up as we all are. You're just not willing to admit it, which is actually more sad. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.